Good morning, Susie. Welcome to the Susie. <laughs> Welcome to the KT Ask You Anything morning. <laughs> so you ask me anything and then you want to answer it at the same time. No, Katie. I was I get scolded everybody. If I try to give an answer or an opinion in front of Susie, watch out. No, it's not that. What it's is just it? that this is a relatively short podcast, if you think about it. And when we take up time with wrong answers... Well, wait, who said my answers are wrong? They're not wrong. They're just not... Right. Maybe. They're not the best. They're not right. Are they They're wrong? They're not the best. They're not the best Anyway, advice. good morning, everybody, Hi, and welcome everyone. to the Women in Money podcast, as well as everyone smart enough to listen. KT... Go for it. Okay, my first question, it's not even a question, it's a statement first from Clay. And I love this. It said, hi, KT and Susie, longtime podcast listener and forever fan of the Susie Orman show. Now, Clay, before I ask Susie your question, I just want to make sure you're watching the Susie Orman show all over again, 14 seasons on Amazon Freebie. It's free, everybody. Don't miss it. And should I tell you all a secret about me and those shows and the Oprah shows <laughs> and all the shows I've done? Oh, no, don't tell them. Why I not? know what the answer is on that. I, well, why this don't should you be tell, a quiz. You should tell okay, them. Okay, everybody, this is the truth, God's honest truth. Susie has never watched her shows after she records them or tapes them or films them live. Never will she sit in front of a TV and watch. I watch. I used to have to go to another room to a different TV to watch them. <laughs> and then she'd say, turn the volume down. I don't want to hear myself. Isn't that interesting? And <laughs> so, all the times I was on Oprah. Wait, Clay, we didn't forget about you. Oh, I never right, watched my Oprah shows either. Never. And that was like years on Oprah. Okay, ready? This is from Clay. He said, Susie, is it always a good idea to buy your employer's stock, even if they offer it at a discount. And then he goes on to say that his employer offers a 10% discount. Mm. However, he's not sure if enrolling is the best use of his investable money. Yeah, Clay, I don't know enough about you to be able to say, well, what else are you doing or not doing? However, the key to this question and everybody else who happens to work for an employer that offers you the ability to buy that stock at a 10 or 15% discount, you might want to think about doing it. I used to do that when I worked for Merrill Lynch. They offered it at a 15% mm. discount. I would buy it and immediately I would sell it. Why? Because I immediately made a gain of 15% if the stock hadn't oh, gone down. Oh, I see. What because you're... I needed the money. Oh. And I wasn't in that high of a tax bracket at the time that it mattered that I was doing that. Hmm. So, Clay, check to see, is there a holding period? If you do this and you buy your employer stock at a 10% discount, is there a holding period before you can turn around and sell it? And then you have to decide... Is that holding period, does it help you or does it hurt you? Number one. Number two, do you work for a good company? 
Of course. You know if your company's doing well. Is your company laying off people? Is your company cutting down on hours? Is your company in an area where you just think they're freaking out? Or have you watched their stock go down and as it continued to go down? Because it does you no good to buy it at a 10% discount if it's going down 5% every week. So check those things out before you do it. But overall, in good markets, it's really a great thing to do if the company is great. Next question, Susie, is from Mary. And this is an interesting question. She said, hi, KT and Susie. I've been hearing a lot about retiring outside of the U.S. to make my money last. Do you have an opinion on this subject? Obviously, healthcare accessibility is a consideration as we get older, and typically we may need more of it. And then she goes on to say, I know that you girls live in the Bahamas, but she knows that that's out of the question for someone in her financial bracket. Actually, it's not out of the question necessarily for someone in your bracket. Wait, I can, can I say something? Wait. You never need my permission no, to say you, something. you do. You don't like when I give advice. But Susie, we have a lot of friends that are older that live basically on the West Coast. And many of them are buying into these almost retirement communities just over the border in Mexico that they say are fabulous. But a lot of people believe it or not. And the reason that I was saying Bahamas isn't necessarily, you know, whether you can afford it or not, it's not someplace that I think you would want to come for healthcare and things like that. It's not like you think. When something goes wrong with either myself or KT, we immediately go back to Florida, which is where we do have our health care. We are not residents, so to speak, of the Bahamas, right? So a lot of people, however, believe it or not, are going to places like Portugal, mm-hmm. um, places like that, you know, Spain, and they're moving there and their costs are down so much and they're getting great health care You know, some people love Canada Mm. for that, but there are absolutely places outside of the United States that are so much more affordable, it's not even funny. There are also places within the United States where your cost of living is so much less than where it would be somewhere else. When we moved from New York to Florida, KT and I flipped out. <laughs> Our grocery bills were like one third of, of what, what they we were, were in New York or California. Or everything. Yeah. So you might want to look for places in the United States that have no state taxes. It's relatively cheap. There are, you know, and things like that. But there are places that you can go that can decrease your expenses. All right, go on. Okay, next from Jeffrey. My favorite niece has two years left to study at an in-state university. Her tuition for two years will be about $15,000. Now, Jeffrey, like us, Susie, he said he never had kids, wanted to help and never married as well, wants to help her pay for school. Unfortunately, She had cancer. It came back and she won't be able to attend school for a little while. So he's asking, should he put the 10,000 in a bond for her or is a 529 plan worth it so close to the time that she'll need it? Jeffrey, so sorry about your niece and that the cancer came back. But here's what I would tell you. 
And really, this is for everybody listening right now. Money that's in a 529 plan, which is a college savings plan, you don't want it invested in the market if you're going to need this money within a year or two, even possibly three. So no, you would not put money in a 529 plan right now to fund her college education in a year or two from now. That's number one. Number two, we don't know if she's going to be able to go back in a year from now or two years from now or ever. So it is true that if you wanted to, you could put $10,000 in an I-bond for her right here and right now and lock in the 9.62% yield because that is going to probably going to change in November. But one year from now, if you go to take it out, there will be a three-month interest penalty. So that will give you maybe after everything four or 5% on the money, which isn't bad. So therefore, maybe you're better off buying a short-term treasury bill or note, or there's nothing wrong with just leaving the money for now in either a savings account with Alliant, try the ultimate opportunity savings account if you want, because interest rates are starting to go up. So you'll have access to that money anytime you want. You'll get about two, maybe two and a half percent eventually here. And really on ten or $15,000, a half a percent isn't going to make it or break it. But then if she wants to go back sooner and everything, it's liquid for her. So I would probably do the savings account if I were you. And if you want to do good for her, mm. since she has cancer, why not open up what we call the do good account with Alliant Credit Union. You have till October 7th to do it, Jeffrey, where simply you put $100 in this account. It's a checking account. And then between this month and all the way through February 2023, you do an electronic transfer of any amount of money. It can be five bucks if you want. And at the end of that time, they will give you, Alliant will give you $100 and They'll give $100 to one of three charities, one, which is the Cancer Society. So you could do that. You could do the Ultimate Opportunity wait, Savings he, Account. He you could do it all. until October 7th. I said that. Okay. Were you listening to me? Yeah, but we have to remind him that's like in yeah. two weeks. So you could do a combination of all those things and get an extra $100 from the Ultimate Opportunity Savings Account, as well as the Socially Responsible Checking Account. So that's $200. And on ten dollars or $15,000, that's a big deal plus interest. All you have to do is go to myalliant, A-L-L-I-A-N-T dot com slash good. All right, that's probably what I would do. All right, that's a great answer. You think people know that we do not make one penny if they open up the Ultimate Opportunity Savings Account or any of that? But that's you, Susie. We never have any commissions or payments or paybacks on anything we do. I think they think I push it because of that. And I don't, everybody, just so you know. We we do do it it because because you've also created a lot of it for our sponsors. You created it. She actually comes up with these ideas for all of you and has our partners participate 
to give you these incredible opportunities. And soon there's going to so, be a sweepstakes coming oh, up, I yeah, hope. Yeah, All yeah. right. That so is, take advantage of everything. That is happening. All right. So th- I love this next question. It's from Jill and it says, house or no house? House or no house? That is the question. It says, hello, Susie. This has been on my mind for a while. Your podcast a few weeks ago on planning the ever-changing housing market has prompted me to send the email. She said, my husband and I have never owned a home or had a desire. We're turning 40 this year and looking at the future. I think this now may be a good idea. What are your insights if we were to buy a house and rent it and continue to rent the place we live in? I do not want to be emotionally attached to a home and pour money into it. I would rather look at it as an investment. And then she writes this, having the security of owning a home in the next 30 years may be important. She said, I've heard you mention many times on the podcast that having your own home paid off by the time you retire is a good idea. So Jill's like sitting back and forth, back and forth. Should I or shouldn't I? What do you think? Well, here's the thing, Jill. If you're going to be buying a home to then rent it out, that's a business. You have to look at it as a business. And you have to imagine yourself a year or two ago, the pandemic hits, then the eviction moratorium hits, which means you cannot evict somebody from your house, even though they are not paying you the rent. So do you need the rent money in able to pay the mortgage? And what happens if you're tenants can't pay the rent. You have to look at all of these things. It's not just, oh, I'm going to buy a piece of real estate and I'm going to make money on it. Mm -hmm. There are natural disasters. There are things that go wrong. Anything can happen to a home at any time. So a home, whether it's a home that you own for yourself or to rent, you have to make sure that not only can you afford the mortgage, the property taxes, the insurance, maintenance, maintenance, but you have to know that you can afford the mortgage payment if your tenants aren't able to pay you the rent. And if you cannot, I would not be doing it at this point in time. It is very probable that we're heading into recession. Everything, the economic downturn is still here, no matter what anybody else says. So I don't think at this moment in time would I be buying a piece of rental property. I just don't think I would do it. If you wanted to buy a home for yourself, however, so that you don't have to pay these absurd rents and things like that, that's another story, then I might consider it. But I don't think right now I would be doing a rental property. Also, Don't you think, Susie, it's okay to just stay where they are if they're happy? If they're happy. Yeah. Yeah. She's just getting nervous because she's turning 40. Oh, is that what's happening to her? look. Oh. That's what's prompted this. They're turning 40 and they're saying, hmm, maybe we should listen to Susie. But you've also told people if you're okay renting because they never wanted to buy a house. If you don't want to buy a house, don't buy a house. Don't buy it. There are many incredibly wealthy people that have always only rented. There are many people who aren't that wealthy who always rented, but they're happy renting. So what will make you feel most secure? That's what you need to know. All right. Next question is from Lisa. 
Hi, Katie and Susie. I turned 55 this year, and due to some health issues, I'm leaving my current job soon. My 403A has about 130000 in it. I also have Roth and SEP IRAs, and my husband has much more in his 401K. My question, if I were to get another job next year, but then got laid off, would that job prevent me from accessing this 403A money before 59 and a half to avoid the penalty since it wouldn't be the most recent job or because I left the job with the 401A after turning 55, am I able to access that money anytime as needed in the future? All right. I got it. I got it. You're reading so much of this question and people are going, what the hell are she, is this person talking about? So let me first tell you about the rule of 55, everybody. If you work for an employer, you have a 403B, a 401k, or whatever they may offer, and you've been putting money in to your employer-sponsored retirement account, and you leave service in the year that you turn 55 or older, the money that you leave in that retirement account at your old employers, you can access anytime you want without the 10% penalty. Money that is in a retirement account a pre-tax retirement account, you cannot, under normal circumstances, access that money without a 10% penalty prior to the age of 59 and a half. However, for employer-sponsored retirement accounts only, this does not apply to an IRA, a simple IRA. It only applies to what? Employer-sponsored retirement accounts. If you leave service in the year that you turn 55 or older, you can take out any money from that account without the 10% penalty. You will, however, have to pay ordinary income tax on that money. So no, it will not disqualify you from doing that as long as you do what? You leave the money there. Also, I just have to say this because this is a teaching moment right now, KT. You could leave service. Let's just say you work for somebody and you leave. They fire you or you leave on your own. Either way, it doesn't matter. You leave service and you're 54 when you left. Mm -hmm. But, and let's say you left in January of 2022 and you're going to turn 55 December 31st. 2022 or any time before that, you still qualify. Hmm. So if you turn 55 years of age or older in the year that you leave service, you don't have to be 55 when you leave service, just you have to turn 55 within that year. It's a great thing to know and to do. You should see the look on her no, face. That's the first time I ever heard that. Do you know how many times I've talked about this? <laughs> about that if you turn 55 yes, in that year. Yes. All right. Well, I wasn't listening. Because remember during the time that I did all the retirement planning for Pacific mm -hmm. Gas and Electric, and like 7,000 people would leave, and it would be early retirement, they wanted to get at their money before 59 and a half. And I said, well, here's how you do, do it. it. Wait. And there were many ways to do it, but that was one of the ways. Mm -hmm. But if you take that money, KT, 
if she takes that money and does an IRA rollover with it into an IRA or into another employer-sponsored retirement plan, she can't do it. Hmm. So it's only money that you leave with your ex-employer. Okay, good okay. to know. Good to know. Next is from Frank. This is not a question. This is a statement. Hi, Susie. Guess what I'm doing right now? I am binging the Susie Orman show on Freebie. Yay. <laughs> he said, one episode I'm watching, you're talking about dangerous financial advice that people give on TV, radio, and social media. I appreciate this great information being available to folks for free. It's a great resource. Thank you, Susie. Thank you for doing all that you do on Free V. Yeah. There you go, Frank. You know, I just want to state this, everybody, that the reason that I wanted the Susie Orman show on Free V is because it's a service that Amazon provides for all of you, and you don't have to pay for streaming. There's just something about $10 here, $20 here, $30 here. You want to watch this one movie. And it's so expensive, mm -hmm. especially in times like now. So I was like, no, you're not going to pay to watch my shows stream. That would be one thing if they were original shows and things like that. But shows that I've already done, free. So that's why I loved Free V and Susie I love and I, Amazon. What can tell, I tell, tell you? Tell everyone that we're like that. I, I might say to her, Susie, let's watch this old movie again. And she'll pull it up and she'll say, KT, it's going to cost us like $6.99. Or $12 sometimes. Yeah. And, and we don't and do I it. And I say, never mind. Forget it. I don't want to pay for that. We saw it 10 years ago, but sometimes you like to watch something again. Yeah. All right. For free. All right. <laughs> for free. This is from Claudia. Hello, my dear Susie. My brother-in-law told me that they're thinking about doing a reverse mortgage. My knee-jerk reaction was to tell him not to do it because I hear you over and over again and a long time ago as well saying that you're against it, but I really didn't have the arguments to tell him why. I understand that a lot has changed. I don't have the numbers, but I think they owe about half a million and the value of the house is about two million. Is it a good idea to do a reverse mortgage? My sister is the only one working. He is receiving rental income from two properties that he has in London. They don't have any other debt besides my sister's car payment. So there you go. I always value your advice and love you to pieces. And KT, she wrote. So Claudia, I've never been a fan of reverse mortgages and I'm never going to. The goal of your home is to own it outright by the time you retire. They still owe $500,000 on their home, and he is not even working at this point in time. He wants to use the money and possibly do what? Does he want to buy other rental properties with it? He already has two that he has in London, and he's looking for more money to invest. But that money should not come from the house. We don't know what's going to happen in the real estate market. Normally, a little while ago, interest rates were so low that it made no sense at all to do a reverse mortgage because your payments that they would give you would be based on age, health, and the interest rate at the time. Now, interest rates are going up, so maybe they're a little bit more attractive now. 
but it doesn't give you security. All of a sudden, they have this big house. Something happens. They want to sell it. They do go to sell it, and they find out that they have no equity in it because they've been using it up. They've been doing this. Things happen. No, just live your life the way you're meant to live it. Own your home outright. Live on the income that you have from other sources. Do not use your home as a checking account. Thousands and thousands and thousands of people over the years that did reverse mortgages have written to me saying, I should have listened to you. So listen, if he wants to do it, what are you going to do? I would never advise to do one in a million years. (laughs) That's pretty... She's sitting over sh- there. Wait, are you sure, Susie? She's sitting over there and she's doing this thing with her hand. Calm down, Susie. Calm down. T- calm down. She gets all riled up whenever these questions. You have no wait, idea have what another, can go wrong. I have all another right. real estate question, but this one be gentle. Hi, Susie and KT. Love you both. I have a question about making extra mortgage payments. I heard that if you split your monthly payment into biweekly payments, you will pay off your mortgage sooner than making just one monthly. Can you please explain why this is? I can't wrap my brain around it. Yeah. That's from Melissa. Yeah, Melissa, it's because you're actually making one extra mortgage payment a year. If you just simply make one mortgage payment every month, that's 12 mortgage payments. All right. If you divide it, and you make two every month. Sometimes there's five weeks in a month. There's mm. more time. You end up with one extra mortgage payment a year that can reduce your 30-year mortgage down to maybe 27 years, a 15-year mortgage at a 6% interest rate down to 12 years. Or let's say you have a mortgage payment of $1,200 a month. Let's just say that's true. If you send in $1,300 a month, a month extra, that will do the exact same thing as well. Because an extra $100 a month over 12 months is an extra mortgage payment. So just make sure if you send in extra money, it goes towards your principal and not towards interest. Susie, next question is from Andy. This is so cute. He said, hi, Susie and Katie and Colo. Our little Our Colo. We love that, that boy. All right, ready? This might be a good quizzy. And I know why he said that. This is pointed at me, Susie. I recently changed employers and now I have a Roth 401k at both employers. I'm in looking at both statements, I'm dangerously close to going over the annual IRS limit of 20500 between the two accounts. Oh, I bet he got a bonus. Anyway. What happens mm-hmm. if I over-contribute? Mm-hmm. Are there tax implications even though it's a Roth 401k? If I move zero contribution, do I miss out on my employer match? Yeah. So first of all, let's start, Andy, with most employers only match up to 6% of your pay. Sometimes it can be 6% of overtime bonuses. It's just how they decide they want to do it. So if you're putting in 10 or 15% of your pay a year into your 401k, and you're getting a bonus, let's say, because most people get in trouble because they have a bonus. 
And so 10% or 15% of that bonus also goes into their 401k. That can put you over the IRS limit. And the IRS limit for 401ks, 403bs, TSPs is $20,500 a year if you're under 50 or $27,000 a year if you're 50 or older. And you do not want to go over those amounts. That's how much you as an employee can put in. It doesn't take into consideration what your employer puts in for you. If you find yourself over that amount because you have an old 401k that you contributed to this year and a new one, you have got to take the money out. Now, you'll know by the end of this year how much you put in. So the best thing you should do is to tell your plan administrator that you possibly made an excess deferral on it. So maybe you over-contributed by $1,000 and that they need to pay you that amount by April 15th of next year. So the plan administrator, your HR person, right, has to return the excess funds to you as a corrective distribution, even if it is a Roth 401k. So it's the employee responsibility to go to their employer or their HR person and check this out. Normally what would happen is if they just had one employer for the year, Mm -hmm. the employer would catch it on their own when they did a the taxes but and the everything for them. The employer doesn't know about the other one. The employer one. doesn't know about the other one that that he's been contributing to. Can I ask a stupid question? There's can no you, such thing as a stupid question. Can you just roll it over the other one? Into no, because it's still a contribution they oh. made. Right. So right. it's on you to do this. Mm-hmm. So you have to make sure that you, between these two plans, did not contribute more than $20,500. If you did, Whatever is in excess of that, plus the earnings that that excess earned, you have got to get out of that account before April 15th of next year. And you do that by talking to the plan administrator to do what's called a corrective distribution. You've got to do that. Now, it takes time to do this. So make sure that you don't move slowly on this one. Do it as soon as you know that you're over the limit. Yeah, everyone listening should take responsibility and find out. Yeah, but normally when you work for just one company, it's not a problem. Mm. Next one's from Angela. This one, I love this one, Susie. This is right for you. Hi, Susie. I'm creating the revocable trust from your must-have documents program. It's asking me to do a financial power of attorney. Yeah. Susie, is that a good, she said, is that a good idea? I don't feel comfortable with giving that kind of broad power to someone over my financial life. Is this a common document to sign when doing the trust? Yeah. So let's explain to Angela why it's important. Yeah. So when I did the must-have documents, originally, you had to do the will Then you had to go back in and answer all the questions again and do the trust. And then you had to go back in and do all the questions again and do the advanced directive and durable power of attorney for healthcare. Then you had to go back again and do the financial power of attorney. You had to enter your information four times. I thought that was crazy. Mm -hmm. Also, many people weren't doing 
the will. They were only doing the trust. They didn't understand that they needed all of these documents. So I created the new must-have documents that when you do it now, you answer questions once and all the documents come out for you. Normally, I want you to do all four documents because you never know when you want somebody to sign for you, incapacity, whatever it may be. But if you don't want to do that, just leave it blank or just put a name in it. It doesn't matter. And when it comes out, rip it up. It doesn't matter. Put your own name. Put your whatever. Put and when, your own name when they all print out for you, just get rid of it. If you don't want to do it, you don't have to do it. Okay, great. And um, by the way, for those of you who want the must-have documents, a lot of you are writing me and saying you don't know how to get them. Listen, you can go and download the Women in Money app. You just do so by going to Apple Apps or Google Play, look for Women in Money, and download it. And when you go there, what you will see on the wall is a whole thing that's called All Things Susie. And if you go to All Things Susie, you see that you can do the must-have documents. You can do anything you want. Just push Shop All, and it will come up. It features every book, everything I have. And normally, these documents are sold for $199. On the app, you can get them for $99. So why not just do it via the app, everybody? You also could go to suzyorman.com slash offer and get it as well. But on there, you can get the must-have documents. Maybe you can, you'll look and you maybe want to buy the gold case that isn't really available anymore. You might want to love that. That's great. There's all kinds of things. So can you all go to the Women in Money app on the wall, look for all things Susie, and just shop around there. These are all things that you absolutely need. You can get the Ultimate Retirement Guide for 50 plus for $10 there, and that includes shipping. I think it's $17 on Amazon. So can you just go there to help yourself with money and save with buying all these things? All right. So Susie, what time is it? <laughs> what time is it? It is quizzy time, my dear KG. I'm ready. All right. So, are you ready? Quizzy yes, time ready. is. I'm ready. You know, I hope as KT is asking me all these questions, you are trying to answer them on your own, but maybe there's not a time to do so because I just jump in with the answer. But the quizzy is I ask KT and all of you a quizzy. And I want you to think about it. So KT knows to think about it before she answers right away to see, can you get it right? Don't feel bad if you don't. <laughs> I don't feel bad, everybody. Well, now she doesn't. When we first started doing I this. I would hate to be wrong, but now I'm like, all right, whatever. Okay. I'm not smart enough. So it says, hi, KT and Susie. I put $250 each pay period to my Roth IRA. If I file married but separate next year for my taxes, do I disqualify for a Roth IRA? So obviously, don't answer yet, KT. Think about it. And I want all of you to think about it. If you are going to file married filing separately, will you possibly disqualify yourself from doing a Roth IRA? Think about it. KT, yes or no? I think I'm not really sure, but I'm going to say no. 
Are you positive about that? Well, I'm not, not positive. I'm definitely not positive, but I'm going to say no. <clears throat> oh, see, I knew it. KT and everybody, how many times have I said that if you file married filing separately and you make over $10,000 a year of adjusted gross income, you no longer qualify to do not only a Roth IRA, but a traditional IRA as well. You better have a really good reason why. Okay, Susie, ask me this question again in a month. <laughs> oh, God. All right, all right, everybody. So now, just so all of you know, because this is September 22nd, and it is Thursday, as you know, at 1 p.m. today, East Coast time, I'm going to be streaming live with AARP and taking your questions. And I'll be with the CEO of AARP, Joanne Jenkins. So if you go to the Women in Money app, and you go and look at live events, you could connect directly there or just go to AARP's homepage. You might want to participate because you could ask questions and I will answer. Okay, Susie, what do we want everyone to be? We want everybody to be safe, strong, and, and secure. secure. I got rid of smart because she already thinks you all are. But I do as well. All right. See you on Sunday. Bye-bye. Neither Susie Orman Media nor Susie Orman is acting as a certified financial planner, advisor, a certified financial analyst, an economist, CPA, accountant, or lawyer. Neither Susie Orman Media nor Susie Orman make any recommendations as to any specific securities or investments. All content contained in this podcast is for informational and general purposes only and does not constitute financial accounting or legal advice. You should consult your own tax, legal, and financial advisors regarding your particular situation. Neither Susie Orman Media nor Susie Orman accepts any responsibility for any losses which may arise from accessing or reliance on information in this podcast. And to the fullest extent permitted by law, we exclude all liability for loss, damages, direct or indirect, arising from the use of this information. The must-have documents discussed in this podcast are legal documents created by a lawyer and distributed by Hay House.